Welcome to the We Rush In podcast, dedicated to exploring the physical and mental demands of being a first responder. I'm your host, Dan Gignard, and I'm a Canadian police officer with many years of experience as a use of force instructor and police supervisor and everyday patrol officer. I understand firsthand the importance of maintaining both physical and mental fitness while on the job. In this podcast, we will be talking to Canadian first responders from a variety of fields, police, fire, paramedics, and even military, as well as service providers who assist in the training and health of first responders. We'll hear about the challenges and triumphs of maintaining fitness, training, and overall health and wellness while on the job. We'll also learn valuable tips and inspiration on how to stay fit and healthy, both physically and mentally, while serving our communities as first responders. Whether you're a first responder yourself or just someone who wants to understand the unique challenges of this profession, this podcast is for you. So let's dive in and explore the world of first responders' health and wellness. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned. Welcome to the We Rush In podcast. My name is Dan Gagnard, and I'm a Canadian police officer with 12 years of experience. I started this podcast as a way for first responders from all services to tell their stories as well as share resources regarding training, health and wellness, and a variety of other subjects. I'm very happy to have Amanda Conway on the show today. She is a Canadian police officer involved in a number of mental health initiatives within her organization as well as externally. In 2020, with the assistance of other first responders, she launched Project Resilience 911. Project Resilience is a multi-organizational team designed to share ideas, training, and raise funds for events and training to promote the health and wellness of all first responders. Good day, Amanda. Hello, how are you? I'm not bad today. Uh, so just a couple questions uh, to start. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, my name is Amanda Conway. I'm a police officer with the Brandon Police Service. I've been uh, with Brandon Police Service for six years. Uh, prior to that, I have a background in social work where I did have uh, some pretty extensive experience in criminal justice, as well as uh, crisis services. I had some experience there, and I have a, a degree from the University of Manitoba in social work. Um yeah, so most of my career has been on patrol, responding to calls um, in the summertime, just in July, a few months ago there, I uh, decided to take on a, a new role. So now I, I'm part of the community policing unit. And yeah, that's uh, given me some more time to connect with the community and do a little bit more of the volunteer stuff that I'm interested in and also put some more efforts into the mental health stuff that I'm doing. Um, I started right after I started at BPS, we do have a peer support team or employee wellness team, we call it, but it's essentially peer support um, within probably about a year, just over a year experience. We had an opening on the team and I put in for it, never expecting with that much experience that they, they would take me on for something like that. Uh, but I guess given my educational background and my experience in mental health, um, they chose me to, to be on the team and Within probably about almost a year, I took over the the chairperson spot for that team and um, have really worked hard to to get some good initiatives into place, like uh, critical incident stress management. We've started a regular debriefing uh, policy where we actually held two debriefings now after critical incidents, which is not something we used to do. 
I wrote policy for that. I also wrote policy for for peer support and employee wellness and from a policing perspective. Um, yeah, just many other like little initiatives come up like uh, employee wellness days and stuff like that just to, for the promotion piece and all of it is kind of um, working towards reducing the stigma. I won't say getting rid of it because I don't know if we will ever do that, but uh, reducing the stigma that surrounds uh, mental health. Um, then with the program that we had established at Brandon Police Service, I was contacted by Brandon Correctional Center and Brandon Fire and Emergency Services. They wanted to start up their own peer support groups and wanted to know where to start and how to get that ball rolling. So um, they wanted to attend our meetings at BPS, which um, we, we did entertain. Actually, I had, I had someone from our dispatch too. So our, our E911 also contacted me because they wanted to start up a peer support group. So. Uh, they wanted to attend our meetings, but I thought that's not really the most ideal way to do it. And as much as we have support and Brandon Police Service has been really supportive of mental health and recognizing the need for it, uh, budget is always the restraint, right, in, in every aspect of every world, I think. But so I thought, why don't we, why don't I start something kind of outside that involves all agencies, not just ours, where we can all kind of work together, um, ideally put our budget together and be able to come up with better training programs and educational opportunities to, to really get our peer support people trained well. Uh, I know if you know Dick, Dr. Nick Carlton at all, he talks about uh, how good peer support teams can be, but they're only as good as the education and the resources that they're provided. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I approached my friend Annalisa Day Thomas, who was our CMP at the time. She just retired this summer, but I uh, pitched the idea to her about starting up a multi-agency volunteer team for that included all of the agencies in the area, and she was game. So we started Project Resilience Nine One One, and um, our first big event was a run and bike event. Uh, we've had two now, but this one was not this past year, but the year before in the fall. And yeah, just just the recognition that if we all work together, that we can w do way more and we can be way more effective and meet our goals a lot easier that way. And also, I can bring my experience that I have to the table and I can share that with the other resources and brand or the other uh, first responders and brand and, and area. Like we have rivers, we have Manitoba First Nations, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I bring the resources that I have and the knowledge that I have to those other organizations that are just getting off the ground where we were pretty well established at BPS. So, right. um, yeah, so Annalise and I kind of co-went about getting Project Resilience off the ground and she left me this past summer, but we've carried on and I have representatives from, because I was mentioning all over, I have Brandon Fire and Emergency Services, I have even a nurse from the hospital emergency department. Um, I like to also make sure that we include frontline. We also have military because sometimes when you look at first responders, 911, it, it becomes like fire, paramedic, yeah. fire, police. Right. Uh, so we also do include correctional services and we do uh, include nurses at the hospital. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I would never turn anyone away. Like as long as you have some affiliation to frontline or first responder. Right. Uh, experience then well and i think yeah. the ties between even nursing and things like yeah. that like they they see all the same 
things that Definitely. we do just in a different in a different way, yeah, right? Same with the military. Things. They're, I guess, the things they see are acute. They happen during a lot of the time during uh, a deployment, but then they still have to deal with the same things that we deal with mentally afterwards, right? Yeah. Whereas, I guess, uh, one term I heard coined uh, for police versus military is police is like a peacetime soldier mm-hmm. whereas we're always yeah. in it for your entire career where they're in and out but often i think what they see overseas is a lot different than what we see sort yeah. of on the ground yeah and i think here a lot in of, canada right like, absolutely and i think with military like you said yeah they they have they have time structure within their um exposures to, to critical incidents we don't have that but also at the same time the critical incidents that they're witnessing um the critical incidents that they're witnessing are also so the, the critical incidents that military personnel are are witnessing or for for some of the part anyway um it's they can personally relate to the they're the people that they're losing oftentimes are people they know where mm-hmm. in policing a lot of times we don't know the people we're dealing with and it, it makes it a little easier to disconnect from that and we we don't get in the groove of living overseas for six months at a time and then have to come home and try to figure out life when we get back and for sure get back into our family roles and all of that kind of stuff yeah that's definitely a, a different view right i never even thought about it that way but yeah the people we see hurt or injured or otherwise they're generally not that attached to us Mm -hmm. we might know them as community members if we police the same area for a long time but we don't know them on a level where they're like a brotherhood like they're the member of that service that you're part of right so that's that's a huge deal um i think you can even correlate it to the fact that and I know you, your experience in policing, my experience, if you deal with someone, I know there's there's been two little redhead kids with freckles that I've dealt with. My son was a redhead. He's 21 now, but he, when he was little, he was a redhead with freckles. And as soon as you start, you know, you can definitely make that connection to your personal life. And when that happens, it's it's harder to, to cope with and harder to disconnect. Uh, 100%. I can agree with that. 100%. I've had incidences where people that I've dealt with her kids in trauma that I've dealt with looked exactly like my kids at the time. Yeah. And it actually, it just hit home harder yeah. or even just kids in general. Just, yeah, kids, uh, in general but... kids are always harder. And especially once you become a parent mm-hmm. dealing with traumatic events involving children just seems to hit harder. Uh, it's definitely a little more to deal with for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go back to the debriefing, uh, you mentioned that something not normally done is having two debriefs per an incident. Well, is there... We've actually, okay, so we. I was just curious if this was something yeah. new that you're trying out that you heard is a good, better way to do debriefs or. No, so we only hold one single debrief, but since we've initiated the practice, uh, we've had two different critical incidents. Oh, so I see. Um, I misunderstood yeah. that. Okay. No, no, I understand. Yeah, okay. that makes sense. I Yeah, we've held two separate for uh, an MVT fatality and also another one for, for a suicide that was uh, a young, younger youth male. So okay, we've been that twice now. All right. And, and it proved effective both times. I okay. think the yeah. feedback was, was good. There was not any negative feedback. So I guess that's a positive thing. In the right. World. Yeah, for sure. If you don't have anything negative coming back, <laughs> I mean, we're all 
a lot of us anyway yeah. are that type a personality right so we're pretty quick to voice our opinions so if there was something negative to be said we'd probably hear about it yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyway i guess we can move on to a few more questions uh obviously you have an extensive background in uh mental health work, social work, things like that. What led you from being a social worker into policing? Like you just, did you decide to take a more active role? Cause maybe social work wasn't yeah. forward enough or active enough. There's a few reasons. Uh, I found definitely, and this is something I've known about myself since almost day one is I'm not good at sitting at a desk. So a lot of the positions I held when I was a social worker, I was sitting at a desk for eight hours a day and yeah, the work was okay. I didn't mind it, but yeah, just say I need to be out. I need to be active. Um, the other thing that it was kind of getting to me was also being in the reactive side of things like, yeah, policing, yeah. a lot of it is reactive too, but not at the same level where you're working with the same people all the time, telling them to go to school, telling them to get a job, telling them to right. <laughs> their appointments for yeah. addictions counseling. Like I, I was just kind of getting frustrated, I guess, with the whole thing and trying to make people into something that they weren't. And I, I was really invested in my role there. And it was, I found it quite disappointing when people didn't follow through they ended up back in jail and stuff like that. Whereas in the policing world, Yes, we have the opportunity. And now I'm in community, so I do a lot more of the preventative work. Um, but we do have that opportunity to be more preventative, and we're not as engaged in the the clients or the clientele that we're dealing with. The people that we're dealing with, we're um, basically picking them up and taking them to jail. Yeah, you might give them a little pep talk on the way and smarten right. <laughs> yeah. up and don't yeah. do this again. But yeah, you're not in that same. And I think a lot of us do that, right? Yeah, we well, try to we. As much as we know, it seems like it's a cycle mm -hmm. of in and out. I still find myself just saying like, man, like, yeah, you really got to try harder this time or just even having just a heart to heart chat with someone. Yeah. Right. Like you understand why we're in this situation now. Yeah. And then often day after sober on the way to jail, there's a lot more clarity, it seems, and they actually you know sit down they'll actually agree with you yeah oh yeah right and, I think, okay. and then it's just it's hard a right huge, for people a huge piece of it and i i learned this very clearly when i was working at probation my caseload was typically well probably like 98 percent youth i had all of the very high risk youth yeah to reoffend. so i had a, a huge caseload of youth and you'd meet with them in custody when they're getting close to getting out and you'd have these talks with them and you'd talk about the plan when they get out and they're all gung-ho, you know, they, they got a plan in place and they were going to go to school. They're going to get a job. They're going to do everything right. And that the courts are asking them to do, and they're going to do better this time. And it, they go back to the same environment and it's, it's the same dysfunction. It's the same people. It's the same stuff that's going on. And eventually it, it just becomes too hard to be able to upkeep the positive lifestyle within a negative environment so yeah I, I would agree that the environment is definitely what yeah if you go back to that same environment you're <laughs> yeah. just it just it's almost impossible to to get beyond it right yeah. you got to remove yourself from that environment somehow yeah um did anything about your social work background lend lead you towards the project resilience like obviously it led you towards that employee uh assistance program or not what what did you call it again the employee, team? Wellness, yeah. employee wellness team um so obviously that helped 
you decide to get into that, which I'm assuming further drove you into starting this project resilience? Mm-hmm. Um, also, <laughs> I've learned lots of things in the hundreds of things I've done before my leaving career. But right. <laughs> <laughs> something that I brought with me, especially I, I never had like a full-time position with West Mac Crisis Services, but I, I did work at Mobile Crisis as a casual, um, I don't know what the title is, but uh, casual answering phones at the Mobile mm-hmm. Crisis Unit and doing visits and assessments for suicide and stuff like that. And one thing that I really, really noticed is everybody had a, seems like everybody has a starting point. Anybody that you talk to, any assessments that you do, you start talking to someone and nine times out of 10, it's like, well, this happened in my life and everything went sideways from there, or this happened in my life and just could never get myself back on track. And I, I think if you take that on an individual basis and you look at the one traumatic thing happening in someone's life that really deteriorates their mental health if you look at the jobs we do we're dealing with traumatic incidents every day almost pretty much mm-hmm. and i think the the important thing to take away from that is that we need the the resilience in place like project resilience is for a reason we need we need to have the education we need to have the coping mechanisms we need to have the, the knowledge to know when we're actually sliding down that downward spiral yeah so that we have the ability to bring ourselves back and we don't know in, in our careers when that day is right i i could be totally fine today i could deal with anything i could deal with the worst of the worst and tomorrow something little sets me off and all of that is comes into effect 100 percent. yeah i think for some people it's it's from what i've observed anyway some people it's one Mm -hmm. event other people i feel like it's a a cumulative thing i have friends who have suffered with ptsd things like that and it yeah it's there's no rhyme or reason for any one given person some people can go their whole career and have no issues or at least outwardly they have no issues i often wonder if maybe outwardly they have no issues and that's the face they put on for their co-workers and the face they put on for the public but yeah i think um, i think there is armor in the uniform that we for sure wear, yeah for sure and yeah i guess the the short of the long explanation is that i i know the importance from from my previous experience and i of being resilient and providing this knowledge and providing this education and providing the tools so that we can stay healthy and that we can enjoy our retirements because i think a lot of times when it gets to that point where you retire and you actually take the uniform off the armor goes with it and a lot of police officers don't always live a, a happy retirement because they don't have that wall anymore to hide behind. Yeah, I hear that a lot, actually, yeah. uh, be it, like you said, just not being part of that yeah. that group anymore mm-hmm. is, is, is hard enough, Yeah. right? So I think uh, a lot of officers, myself included, trying to is find a way to have some of your life outside of policing mm-hmm. something that you enjoy something that isn't related to policing that you can yeah, you know key, right? fill your life with yeah. so that you're not always just in the job yeah yeah and, and that's, it's hard and in our it, in all reality we we work shift work it's hard to have friends and relationships outside of the people that we work with um but but those relationships like relationship your connections and relationships like account for probably almost like 80% of your resilience when it comes down to it. If you have positive relationships in your life, 
and I, I don't want to say that those need to be exactly always outside of policing, but if you can have some outside of policing where you're not in the same mindset all the time as the people you're working with and you have some outside uh, vision into things and outside ideas on how things work that people aren't so quite jaded like we are in this stuff we deal with all the time. So Yeah, I agree. It totally makes a difference. I mean, what happens when a bunch of police officers get together and have a barbecue or something? It just ends up being shop talk, yeah, right? It, it just does. ends up being as, as hard as we try not to. Yeah. We try to be like, okay, let's just talk about sports or something different. It always ends up back yeah. at that. Remember that time? Exactly. <laughs> so I could see where, yeah, like if you could at least have a few friends outside of that network mm-hmm. to get an outside perspective, right? Absolutely. Um, I've noticed that a lot more, not even just from friends, but uh, as of late, I've become more accepting of other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've had conversations with doctors or like while I'm sitting there on, on the job and they've asked me questions and then provided feedback from their perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, like, whereas before, especially earlier on in my career, uh, still learning, I think I just saw the world the way I saw the world, yeah. right? And we didn't, we didn't really respect, not respect, but mm-hmm. it was more of a viewing it like that person doesn't understand my perspective or the world that I'm in. So their opinion is mm-hmm. their opinion. It, yeah. it doesn't actually line up with what I'm dealing with. But now I think I'm, as you go on, you're able to recognize that not everybody's going to see everything the way you do, right? Yeah, like that's... and I think that the the way you do look at things and the way you were explaining it to me is valid in some aspects because with the social media, the way it is to protect ourselves, we have to thought, you don't know my job, you've never done my job, so your opinion doesn't matter to me. But on the other hand of things, which kind of goes to the community side of things that I'm doing now, but also to the mental health perspective, is what I always tell the people that I'm working with and uh, trying to connect with is I'm here to hear your stories, but I want you to hear my stories too, mm-hmm. because we come from a place that the media shares our stories. We don't share our stories often because yeah. we share them amongst ourselves, but they don't often, the true actual re- real stories don't always make it out. And I think right. as part of our mental health perspective, we need to share those stories too. Yeah, I'd agree. Like we don't, the media does not always get our perspective. No. They get the media release perspective, which is a, a cleaned yeah. version, right? Like yeah. that's, so, or they yeah. get the public speculation. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost viewed, I feel like on our part anyway, like it would be a negative thing mm-hmm. for us to provide our actual personal experience oh, yeah. to the media. Like yeah. The way that, that we felt, that right? <laughs> exactly, right. So yeah, and I mean, uh, that's filtered too. There's, the stories we're sharing are obviously going to be filtered. I, no, they have I, to filter <laughs> them to a degree, right? Yeah. I mean, we can't have we can't have names. Yeah. We can't have certain well, details. Some details, and, and yeah, exactly. Some of those details people probably don't want to hear. So, <laughs> um, now you already said that BPS has been super supportive. So Brandon Police Service, for mm-hmm. anybody who doesn't understand what BPS means, yeah. Policing and fire and all military, we're all terrible for acronyms and then not explaining to people what those acronyms mean. But anyway, um, support's been really good, you said. so. Um, yeah, they, they already, um, right when I was starting six years ago, uh, 
they had already recognized the need for peer support and to have employee wellness in place. And so it was already started. They'd already had a yearly budget in place. I mean, there's always room for more, but. <laughs> Isn't there <laughs> always with any budget? <laughs> yeah. So they, they'd already had things started, but any, like any of the ideas I've come up with, um, like I said, the, the critical incident stress management, the debriefing um, training initiatives that I've brought forth, like, they're, they're pretty open to almost anything, um, well, with, within a, a dollar amount, but of course, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they've always, they've been super supportive of almost any idea I've had and any ideas that the other, the other team members have come up with. So we have within BPS, we have, I believe eight, no, seven sworn members as civilian. And then we have Part of our team structure is having a community mental health person. Oh, excellent. Team. So we have a volunteer yeah. from Crisis Services that I used to work with, and she volunteers with Project Resilience too as our, our community mental health professional. So uh, we have those those people in place, and yeah, that's the team, and we all work together. We come up with ideas, and we're, we're working. I guess the COVID thing, we kind of were a little bit less active, obviously. Um, but now we're kind of getting back into the, the role of, of things. And um, the biggest thing that we're trying to implement now is a little bit more to do with families and a little bit more to do with to support people uh, at home that are taking okay. care of us. And yeah, so we're trying to, we've always kind of had family involved. We do, we have done, I think five annual picnics for wellness teams. So it's a family thing. We get bouncy castles, the kids come out, we have hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're trying to do a bit more of that. So. Mm -hmm. um we're starting like a spouses facebook page only for bps spouses okay um, yeah where we have a family skate night coming up after christmas to trying to just get families more involved and to let them know that we're here to support families too we're not just here for for the membership and the employees at the office yeah i think that's crucially important i mean absolutely. our families are part of our support structure right absolutely they're the people that we need to go home to after we've had an incident or after we've had a heck of a day yeah and they're the ones we get to deal with the, the they sometimes get the wrong the, exactly for sure <laughs> and i think that's where uh we policing in general most police services can probably improve right mm -hmm. uh i i worked for the rcmp for a lot of years and at the outset, they always said, you know, we're a family, so on and so on. But it didn't always ring true when it came time. And I know I know they're making improvements every year. But, I mean, this was 12 years ago. Probably a family within the membership, too, right? When we right. say the word family, yeah. we mean all of all of, all of it. Family, but they also right? try to make it clear that our family was important as well because they were a support system. But I think what happened is they believed in that but not everybody on the ground who then had to actually implement any of that was always on board with it. And I think yeah. that culture is changing though, yeah. even within a large organization like the RCMP, I think mm -hmm. slowly, but surely the, the old mentality is, is being, it's going. It's we're... being pushed out very, <laughs> very slowly and surely, but we're working on it. We're in a weird dynamic right now. And I, I tell this to a lot of people where we have the new recruits coming in that are, they've been exposed to mental health, education and training and awareness their whole entire lives right yeah, we yeah. Have the other people the other members at the end of it are on their way out the door and they're part of the boys club and they they still it's their motto is suck it up and yeah, <laughs> keep on yeah going, you yeah. know so we're in a weird dynamic I, yeah. in the middle right now and i don't 
I don't actually have an issue with the suck it up. It depends on when you're sucking it up mm -hmm. on the job in the moment. Yeah. Then that's when we have to put on that. But we have to learn that once that moment is over, then we need to process what actually happened or process what we dealt with that day. Yeah. And I think that's where we, we fell short as officers is, ah, we'll just, mm -hmm. we'll just, we'll just push that deep down inside. Mm -hmm. So I never feel it again, right from the get go. Right. Yeah. Obviously we're expected to have good composure and keep a, a good, good head on our shoulders mm -hmm. during a, during an incident. But I think we need to learn more people need to learn to like then switch gears afterwards and actually process what happened. You're absolutely correct. And yeah. that is something to that I've been working on personally for myself, but also <laughs> I hear it in a lot of people <laughs> that, yeah, you, you start to disconnect from everything, right? Anything that has emotional significance to you just becomes a disconnection. And, and eventually you're really not feeling a lot of the things that you should be. So it's just working on that body mind connection because we lose that somewhere. There'd be, there becomes a, a barrier there that tells us we're not allowed to feel and we and we always bring we typically bring that into our personal lives. So finding ways and tactics and I know some people are probably not into yoga, but like trauma yoga and you know, bringing that body awareness back where you're actually connecting your mind and your body back together because <laughs> mm, for sure. Yeah, I yeah, know it's I think it's super important yeah. um to actually feel the feelings, yeah. right? It is. Feel them. It's easy not to. Yeah. Feel them. <laughs> feel what it feels like and then deal with it. And then just like, exactly. okay, how does that make me feel? Mm -hmm. How can I maybe stop feeling that way? Yeah. Right? Like that's yeah. in a healthy way. You have to. Because, yeah. you, you know, it, it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? You keep pushing and pushing and pushing all this stuff down. Eventually, you're going to erupt because you yeah. can't just keep all that yeah. stuff inside. And that's just yeah age-old anger management mm -hmm. really for sure and then you get people that lend themselves to substance abuse and other mm -hmm. things in order to not feel those feelings even more right yeah. it's almost like to me like you get so full and so full and so full as well nothing is helping push this away now so now let's try this yeah Let's see if I can just erase yeah, it from my memory. Yeah, avoid it. <laughs> exactly. And, but I think we're we're working a lot towards losing that mm -hmm. that mentality and so. get trying to get rid of that stigma mm -hmm. where if you want to talk about your feelings and maybe you need to stop being a cop. Yeah. And I just don't I don't agree no, with no, that. No, I don't. And you know what? That's part of the whole debriefing process. They they the ancient way of doing debriefing was talking about the gruesome details and talking about that kind of stuff. But now the new way of doing debriefing is definitely getting those feelings out in the open. And yeah, that's great that this happened, but how did, how did you feel in that moment? How, how did you feel going home that night? Right. And a lot of times I think something that I try to bring up in, in the debriefing process is, well, people, I go, I went home and I felt nothing. Well, I would tell you there's a point, two points in my life where I've gone home and I felt nothing, but my behavior said otherwise. But right. I can't yeah. sit still and I'm up and I'm, you know, you, you just that mm -hmm. anxious, but you're not registering that you're actually feeling anything. Right. For sure. What does the future of the Project Resilience look like? Obviously, we've had a few, uh, you've had a few events in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. Uh, what kind of things do you want to see happen? What are the plans? Uh, so, yeah, the, we have had, I guess, the biggest thing, not the biggest thing, the biggest thing for us 
is promoting mental health in the first responder world and trying to normalize it as much as we can and breaking down that stigma. But uh, another big piece of what we do is trying to raise money. So we're nonprofit. Any any proceeds that we make off of any of the events that we hold or uh, a fundraiser we have going right now is a calendar. Uh, we have a bunch of first responder snapshots from Brandon, MFMP, Rivers, uh, local area, our, uh, military, RCMP. Um, we got Liam Pattinson, a local guy that's a photographer that takes a lot of pictures of first responder uh, stuff to help us put a calendar together. So that's our newest fundraising event. But uh, we had a run bike two times now. We had a wellness fair in October. Uh, any, proce any proceeds that come from uh, something like that go directly back into to our initiatives. So already for next, we've had our, our strategy planning meeting already for next year. Um, we're playing around with some dates, but we're going to be doing a lot of the same initiatives. Um, and the more money we have, the more training opportunities we can offer. And like I said, the awareness piece and the education, the training, the, that that's what needs to happen. Uh, yeah, with the, the events break down the stigma and they get us out there and they promote it and they try to normalize what's going on. But uh, at the end of the day, we, we need those resilient strategies and we need the skills to cope when when we're struggling. Um, so, yeah, for next year, we have our run and bike event uh, planned already for May 15th. And we will be doing a wellness fair again on October 20th, which is the same date it was last year, but okay. it's a Thursday instead of Wednesday. Um, we're kind of doing a joint project with Brandon Police Service. We're uh, bringing actually out, uh, I've done the training already, but we're doing an accredited peer support training okay. where we actually have a retired member from Ottawa and a retired member from one of the suburbs of Toronto. I can't remember exactly okay. which one. Yeah, there's a few there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly and I don't want to say they're on one. So um, those, those two, Sid um, Gravel and Brad McKay. Okay. And uh, yeah, they do an accredited peer support training program that's they've facilitated all over the world. Oh, wow. And they've both been involved in officer involved shooting. So they have some pretty good experience um, to, to bring forward with them. So they'll be coming out and doing the accredited peer support training two days before the wellness fair. And then they're going to be our keynote speakers on the third day at the wellness fair on peer support groups and their experiences and um, that type of thing. So we have that project coming up. We also have the, the something I started last year, the Bell Let's Talk Bake Cookies. So okay, yeah. I had one of the local bakeries make up the little comment shape or the comment the bubble, bubble shape. Cookies. Awesome. And so yeah, the, the team is uh, using some of the proceeds that we've got from other things to supply so many cookies to each organization to just promote mental health and the Bell Let's Talk Day. And we also have a, a Facebook page. So uh, through that we connect. I, I share some stuff. I've done some <laughs> when I'm not in university and the summer when I have time on my hands, I I uh, take some of the inserts out of um, the book by Dr. Gil Martin, uh, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Yes, I've read that book. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I've read it and there's some really valuable information in there, but I try to break it down into pieces so that people can read a Facebook post instead of reading a whole book because like, sure. people are liable not to read the book. So yeah, it, it's valuable and I think there's a lot of good messages and a lot of good content in that book. So yeah, that Facebook page, I do stuff like that. I share other articles, uh, links to some podcasts and stuff like that um, sure. through that. And then yeah, we connect and 
Uh, also, families can join that page so we can connect with families and first responders uh, through that page. Uh, we also, uh, where I was going with that, that, our Facebook page, we're doing a Bell Let's Talk Day. We did it last year where people could post a picture with the Bell Let's Talk Day thing on that day and everybody will be putting a draw for a prize. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we have some promotional materials too. We just have like our t-shirts are always for sale. We did up challenge coins for the last run. They turned out absolutely awesome. I was pretty impressed by them. So um, that's, we've started designing the next one because we don't want to do the same ones all the right. time. So yeah. we've started designing the next ones for the run in May and Mm -hmm. um yeah. a lot of people collect those so yes absolutely. i mean so to have a different one for each year it'd be yeah. great because people would just add them to their yeah. collection right so yeah that was something we've talked about and eh, i don't like keeping surprises but um we're gonna have it so that you have to come every year to get one with the logo on it the, i think the first one coming up is going to have dog pigs on it for the military oh, it'll still have everything okay. but it'll in the background will be the dog pigs and then the year after we'll have like Say the police badge and then the fire right. badge. So you have to come every year to get to get logo. all the. It's like <laughs> yeah, the collect the everything from the McDonald's kind of a <laughs> yeah, thing. You got to keep going to get yeah. everything. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So yeah, we're like I don't know. We always have stuff on the table. I think of stuff like this calendar idea. I honestly just thought of it in like October, end of September maybe, and like called up Liam or I messaged Liam and I'm like, hey, do you think this is something we can pull off? And he was all game to help us do it. So. Mm -hmm. I know my my brain never shuts off really. So but <laughs> whatever this, we can do, that's probably fine for this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, it, sometimes it's hard to come up with uh, fundraising ideas, right? Yeah, so, and unique ones that people want to support. Right? For sure. Yeah. So I mean, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, putting... the training, the peer support training, it it's the biggest one that we have coming, and like I said, we're kind of working in conjunction with BPS on that one and Project Resilience. So, mm -hmm. and I know some other agencies have expressed interest in jumping on board with that too, and. Um, oh, we will also have a um, course coming up um, in January that's going to be just like a extended version of the debriefing. Like, so you do the critical incident stress management course, and then there's a debriefing course. So we're okay. I've worked with a local uh, social worker. She her name is Nari Abernathy. Okay. She's been working with critical incident debriefing since like the early '90s, and she's written some of the the um courses and or she yeah previous courses and so i worked with her and we've actually developed a course where she's going to facilitate the majority of it but i'm also going to take some of those ideas and uh some of those concepts from the dr gil martin book and and talk about uh, talk about it as it applies to policing and how i guess our mental health is affected and how we bring that to the to the table too so it's going to be a debriefing course but it's going to have a different spin on it than right what you would take through like the office of the fire commissioner gotcha yeah so just a little bit more yeah um i guess the last question i don't know if many people know about it but the regional sism group yes uh so, what does sism stand for do you know what uh, the acronym means oh yeah it's critical incident stress management okay. so so really the, the system piece of it is the knowledge behind behind it. So the piece that we're actually doing and we're able to facilitate is the debriefing side of things. Okay. So like I said, uh, historically debriefing was about sit down and let's tell the war story. Let's talk about the most recent, gruesome details, but there's been research done that really didn't find that approach effective. So right. now it happens, you talk about obviously the what bothered you and what was there and how it presented and what happened but you're also the the core of it is talking about your feelings and how you felt in the moment and um 
yeah, so that's the debriefing side of things. Uh, we have, like I said, Mary Abernathy, Abernathy she's, and also Lindsay, um, Lindsay Jensen, she's our uh, community mental health worker that's on both of our teams. Mm -hmm. She's also experienced in debriefing. So between those two, they volunteer their time. We don't pay them. Um, they they are able to facilitate debriefing. So if something happened, say um, there was an incident with Manitoba First Nations police, um, that was something that, especially the biggest thing, right, is is an injury to an officer. So say For something sure. like yeah. that happens. I would make contacts. I have a contact within MFNP already, but I would mm -hmm. definitely make that contact and say, hey, we have this. Do you want us to come out and right. we can facilitate a debriefing or we can come just hang out and be there for peer support and we're, we're fine either way. But we, mm -hmm. we want to be there to help people because that's one of the reasons to why there's so much value in this multi-organizational team is because I, I understand and I acknowledge the fact that if one of our members got hurt at our police service, we're, we're all small services in this area. Yeah. And even for fire or at the jail, everybody knows everybody. So if one of us gets injured or God forbid, hopefully not ever, but killed, mm -hmm. um, we can call on the other agencies at the table to come in and be a supportive role to us, whether it is for a debriefing process or whether it is just to show up and be there because that, that that's half the battle, right? Just you need, you just need those people there when something like that happens, you just want company for to, sure yeah. to be there with you. So. Absolutely. Sometimes that's all you need, right? Yeah, you absolutely. might not want a formal debrief, but just having people around. Yeah, we know people. what we'll, we'll bring food. We always bring food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Food just seems to food is, fix everything. Happy. It just makes everybody happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just to hang out, whether like if people need to talk, we can talk. Um, uh, yeah. And the, Nari and Lindsay definitely have the clinical, clinical experience. I have previous, previous clinical experience, but I've kind of put up a barrier to that because I don't want the two to mix. I don't, like, yes, I'll use my skills and my knowledge and my education and what whatnot, but I, I don't want to mix. I don't want to muddy the waters with the clinical side of things into the policing side of things. Yeah, no, I think it's good to keep it Especially all Especially with separating. my own members. I know at one point we kind of talked about if we ever had to do like a suicide assessment, well, I could be the initial contact for that. I've done that before. I know how to do that. And then it came a point where I'm like, I'm not doing that because I yeah. don't want to be any way feel responsible for something. Right. It just mm -hmm. as easy for that person to be Absolutely. referred to someone else yeah. who I'll support them. I'll be there. hundred percent. A hundred percent. Going down to the paper where I decide whether you need an assessment or not. No, no. I, and that's, that's totally understandable yeah. for sure. That's not something that we want to no, introduce wanna. <laughs> into our lives, but we have to start doing that to yeah. our fellow officers for sure. So no, that's kind of where we're headed. And yeah, the, the team is available. If something comes up that I'm not aware of, um, Definitely. Like I, we have brochures with my contact information. If you call BPS and ask for me, they'll, they'll know, they'll at least tell you how to get a hold of me. And if it's emergent, then they, they'll find a way to get a hold of me. But, um, yeah, they, they will, we're here to support anybody. And for sure. It sounds like a lot of great things yeah. are happening and it's, it's only, right. it's only going to get better. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think, think this right. is super important. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm glad to see that that's the way, it, things are going in the first responder world because mm -hmm. uh, it's been a long time coming i think so yeah, yeah it's, I think so. it's I good think to we're see all, we're all getting on board with it now i think ontario definitely has some really good initiatives in place they have boots on the ground and all that i've been to a conference out there well 
one in person, the last two have been virtual because of COVID. Right, yeah. The critical incidents, uh, stress Congress out there is absolutely amazing. I've met so many great people, came up with so many great ideas that I brought back to our service uh, by attending that. And I hopefully will be able to go this year, COVID pending, but Excellent. things are yeah. looking up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, and it, it, we're really, we're really bringing that across Canada. And I think a lot of agencies are getting on the same same idea and on the same wavelength that we are and yeah you see it awesome that's good so i want to thank you for your time today Uh, i really wanted to sort of highlight mainly just project resilience i think it's a great i was really pleased to hear about it being in existence i guess when i uh when i moved here and started working here so i just really wanted to give you the opportunity to to tell us about it so i'm always willing to talk about it awesome well (laughs) Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Rush In podcast, where we explore the physical and mental demands of being a first responder. I hope that you found today's discussion and interview informative and inspiring. Remember, maintaining fitness, training, and overall health and wellness is essential for first responders to be able to serve their communities to the best of their ability. Stay tuned for another episode on the 1st and 15th of every month, featuring more interviews and insights from Canadian first responders and service providers. In the meantime, please visit our website for more information and resources on first responders, health and wellness, and don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and additional content. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there.